Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm lead pastor. Appreciate you guys checking us out and just giving us kind of an hour of your time. Uh, we are kicking off a brand new series that we are calling More Than a Name. I'm excited about this. We are going to be looking at content that we have never covered before in the history of Downtown Harbor Church. Uh, and so I'm excited. We're going to learn some new truths. It's, it's going to be fun. So when it comes to Bible stories, if you will, we tend to think of these big box office names, David, Moses, you know, these kind of scripture celebrities, if you will. And they're great stories. And, and all I got to do is say their name. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you just kind of know their stories. Um, but if you move beyond those names that are kind of always in lights on the big marquee, you'll find that the Bible is filled with people who have left an indelible mark on this world and yet we don't even know their names, right? What we're going to see in this series is that's okay because they're more than a name. And so each week, our goal is to examine a nameless character, if you will, to find out who they are, what went on with their lives, and to see how God used their story to impact our story. So today, to kind of kick off this journey, I want to talk to you guys about the woman with the alabaster jar. We don't know her name. This is how she's described. Now, let me give you some context to the story that we're going to hear today. When Jesus walked the earth, um, he claimed to be God. And some people believed him, others did not, uh, and others still weren't really sure what to make of him. But everybody reasoned that if God were to come to this earth, if God were to sort of put on flesh, if you will, the group of people that he would favor, the group of folks that he would be pleased with, the group of people that he would want to associate with would be the Pharisees. Now, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a sect of Judaism. So in Christianity, you think, okay, you got the Methodists, you got the Baptists, you got the Presbyterians, you got the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known to be the most spiritual of all of the Jewish sects. They wore, you know, big fancy robes. They prayed big, long, impressive prayers for other people to hear. They were obsessed with, with ceremony and rules and regulations and famously and we see this all throughout the New Testament, they would distance themselves from sinners uh, because sinners would make them spiritually unclean. So they didn't want to be around them. In today's story, we're going to meet a guy named Simon. Uh, he was a Pharisee. And Simon's going to throw a dinner party. And Pharisee dinner parties were always a who's who of Israel. Top religious leaders, wealthy business people, dignitaries. It's like a big to-do. And at these parties... These men would often engage in theological debate, okay? Basically just showing off who was more spiritual. And most of this was a show because there was an audience. At these parties, they took place in the outer rooms, in the courtrooms of uh, courtyards of these houses. Townspeople would come and actually watch over the fence because this was like free entertainment for them. That's the setting for today's story. We're going to start in Luke chapter 7. Luke tells us, one of the Pharisees, this is Simon, asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Let's pause. So the New Testament paints the Pharisees as being the enemies of Jesus. And ultimately that is true. But some of them could not ignore his miracles, right? They might not have liked his teaching, but they couldn't ignore his miracles. And they just wanted to find out a little bit more about him. And so Simon's motivation, and we'll learn this later on, for inviting Jesus to this party was to suss out whether Jesus was uh, a prophet of God. 
So he invites him, and it says, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. So let's picture this scene. Gorgeous courtyard, okay? Um, they are reclining at a well-appointed table. Sumptuous food, best wine. Jesus is there listening to these you know, blowhards brag about who's more spiritual. <sighs> Must have been brutal. And the townspeople are peeking over the fence, watching. Right? I think like everybody's watching to see what Jesus is going to be doing. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody shows up at this party that was definitely not invited. And when this person walks into this party, it was the most shocking thing that these pious Pharisees had ever experienced, and they hated every moment of it. Luke tells us that a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, now in the original Greek, this means town prostitute, okay? So that's who she is. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So this lady of the night, so to speak, shows up out of nowhere, walks right into this party with the most holy people in all of Israel. And all conversation comes to an abrupt halt. It's like, you know, record scratching kind of a thing. And, and these pious Pharisees start thinking, this is a problem. Okay, this isn't, this isn't right. Okay, this woman is, she is spiritually unclean. She is impure. She is a sinner. And we don't associate, I mean, we can't associate with these kind of people. In other words, she's not invited. She's unworthy to, to, to be in our presence. Now, what do we know about this woman's backstory? Not much. We don't know what led her to become a prostitute. But I've got to imagine this is never the life that she wanted. Something happened. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what it was in her life, but that drove her to this profession. What it was, I don't know. But what I do know is that every day, men used and abused her. Women would scorn her. She would have felt unloved, very ashamed, unwanted, wondering, how did I end up how do I end up like this? How many of you ever asked this question of your own life? I never thought, I never thought I would be addicted to pills. How did I? How did I end up like this? I never, th I never thought I would be divorced. I, 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 I never thought that I would suffer from depression. How did I end up like that? All right? I never thought that I would have to file bankruptcy. I never thought that I would lose contact with one of my children. I never imagined being where I am today. This woman never imagined as a child that this was going to be the life that she would be leading. And she also probably never imagined that she'd find herself smack dab in the middle of a Pharisee party. Watch what she does. Then she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. I don't know if you ever watched the series called The Chosen, if you haven't, you gotta, okay? You know me with my recommendations on Netflix. I don't give them lightly, all right? This is not some kind of Kirk Cameron Christian thing that makes you, okay? That like you wanna cringe. This is good, okay? This is like as good as anything you're gonna see on Netflix. And if you wanna ugly cry, this is the show for you. And I was talking to my one friend, I go, I hope they do this scene because I know they're going to do it beautifully, and I want to see it with my own eyes. 
I want to see the crowds of people. I want to see the Pharisees watching this woman just pour out her soul to Jesus with reckless abandon. So let's talk about what she's doing here, because this is there's chock full of cultural gems that, that we miss as modern Americans. Let's first talk about the alabaster jar of perfume. What's up with the perfume? Luke brings it up. Jesus is going to be talking about it later. Okay, why is this perfume so significant? Two reasons we know. Number one, perfume was rare and expensive. Almost no one could afford perfume uh, in this day and age. And based on historical data, we know that this perfume would have cost roughly one year's wages. That's some good stuff. Not only was this perfume extraordinarily valuable, but it also represented her livelihood. Let me explain. Perfume was her business card. Okay? Your average woman couldn't afford to wear perfume. And so if you were wearing perfume, a man would smell it and think, oh, I get it. Okay, I see what we're dealing with. We've we got a working girl on our hands. For example, if Adam Duckworth, our volunteer coordinator, who famously wears entirely too much cologne, okay, were, were to go back to ancient Israel and walk the streets... From blocks around, people would smell them and go, there goes a male prostitute. Now, now, <laughs> now we know what we're dealing with. Okay. You're all weak ladies. Okay, so what is symbolically happening in, in, in this story? Um, this woman takes this perfume, okay, which represents everything that she has. It's a year's salary, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. She takes this perfume, which represents her livelihood, it's her future, it's the way that she attracts clients, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. In one, let's call it glorious act, this woman publicly and symbolically repents of her own life, le leaving it at the feet of Jesus. But she's not done, remember? It says, then she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. 2,000 years ago, women covered their hair in public hard stuff, okay? To have one's hair uncovered was inappropriate and scandalous, to be honest with you. But this woman was so overcome with emotion, okay? She, she could not contain her love and her adoration for Jesus, so not only does she uncover her hair in public, but she further humiliates herself by drying his feet with her hair. This is an extravagant act of worship. But the Pharisees' heart were not touched by this. In fact, they were beside themselves. Look, Luke says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, okay, he's thinking this. He's not saying it out loud. Simon is thinking this. If this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Remember, Simon invited Jesus to this party to see with his own eyes, to sort of suss out if he was, in fact, a prophet of God. And now, based on what he's seeing, he's reasoning that since Jesus is allowing this woman to touch him, clearly he's not from God. Why? Well, because God, he reasons, like the Pharisees, would never touch a sinner. Now, don't forget, Simon isn't saying any of this. He's thinking all of this, and then Jesus does what Jesus does. He answered his thoughts. Simon, I got something to say to you. 
And then he gives him a quick parable. And if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a fictional story, a fake story, that Jesus would create to tell a real truth. Simon, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replies, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus goes, bingo, that's right. Now watch what Jesus does. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, He's, he's now looking at this woman who is hurting, who has been used and abused her entire life, who has been ostracized by her community, by her local church, because of the choices that she has made. Her face is covered in tears. Her hair is a mess. And while looking directly into this woman's eyes, Jesus speaks to Simon the Pharisee and asks do you see this woman? In other words, does all of your self-righteous behavior even allow you to acknowledge the fact that this woman exists? Do you even see this woman who was created in the image of God? Or are you too holy? There's a documentary that is out right now. Um, it's about a megachurch. You can find it on Hulu. You can, you can find it um, on FX. And uh, the church is a mess, okay? It's a lot of problems. And I'm not here to judge it or condemn it or defend it, but I'll say this. With all of its warts, and they are many, this church did do something right. They are at one point interviewing uh, a member of this church. And because of his life, this man had been ostracized by his Christian family, by his own father, and other churches. But at this church, he says, I felt seen. And when I heard that, it, it broke my heart, touched my heart, and it confirmed to me exactly what we're talking about today. Christians, for those of you Christians in the room, there are people in this world, and in Fort Lauderdale, and at your job, and in your school, and in your family, and maybe in this room, who are in desperate need of Jesus' love. But do you even see them? Or do you look right past them? Does their sin or their lifestyle or their mistakes or their past make you want to cross to the other side of the street? Has Jesus put somebody on your path or in your life and yet they feel as though you don't even know they exist. You're not looking at them. You're looking right through them. Jesus said, Simon, do you even see this woman? Subtext, I see her. I'm looking right at her. And then Jesus makes it really awkward. He says, when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she washed them with her tears, and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. In other words, this 
socially unwelcomed woman has more hospitality than this socially privileged Pharisee. And what's more, this despised woman clearly has superior spiritual awareness because when she looked at Jesus, she saw God. Whereas Simon only saw a false prophet. Watch Jesus bring this home. Therefore, I tell you. Now remember, Jesus hasn't looked at Simon once. His eyes are trained on this woman. And don't forget, everyone is watching. The dinner table full of Pharisees, dignitaries, townspeople hanging over the fence. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. Now, don't miss this because this is important. Jesus says her many sins. He never went light on sin. He always called sin, sin. He always called sinners, sinners. And then he died for those sinners. He didn't excuse this woman's sin. He didn't minimize the truth. But he nevertheless accepted this woman, not in spite of her sins, but with them. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. You are whole. You are a new creation. You're white as snow. We might not know her name, but we do know her story, and it is incredible. And I've just been asking one question all week long. How did this woman end up at this party? <laughs> Think about this. She finds out that Jesus is in her town. He's eating dinner. She makes her way across town. She makes her way through this huge crowd of people watching this dinner. She walks past men who some of them were her clients. She walks past women, I imagine, shielding their children from her. She effectively breaks into Simon's home and makes a beeline for Jesus. Why? What drove her to this? We don't know for sure. But somewhere along the way, she must have experienced the unconditional love of Jesus. That's the only explanation. I don't know if she saw a miracle, but I'm going to argue, based on the chronology of the chapter that we just read from, that she most likely came to faith in Christ from hearing him preach earlier that day, just a few short hours before Jesus was preaching. And effectively, his message was, you are invited to God's family. You, you are invited, whoever you are. You are welcome. You can come just as you are. This was the exact message this woman would have heard if she were in the crowd on the same day that this party took place. Let me show you exactly what Jesus preached that day. Matthew wrote it down for us. Then Jesus said, come to me. You are invited. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Those of you who are overcome with guilt, burden with shame. Come to me, those of you who have been rejected again and again and again by people. Come to me, those of you who have been turned away by religion. Come to me, those of you who, who didn't have the right clothes to wear to the right church. Come to me, those of you who have been pushed aside because you weren't perfect. Come to me when you've got nothing left. Come to me when you have lost all hope. Come to me when everything in you feels desperate and doesn't know if it can go on. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what society says about you, no matter what you say and think about yourself, you are invited to God's family. This was the message, I believe, that led this woman to Jesus. And here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice that pointing out this woman's sins didn't lead her out of a life of sin. Judging her lifestyle didn't change her lifestyle. Shaming her for what she did did not set her free from her painful past. So what was it that changed this woman? What was it that drove her to soak the feet of Jesus in tears, to dry his feet with her hair, to anoint his feet with luxurious perfume? It was an invitation to know the Son of God. It was an invitation to experience Jesus' grace and his goodness and his love and his freedom. Jesus came for this woman. He came for the sick. That's what he says. He didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for the self-proclaimed righteous. He came for the hurting. He came for the broken. And he came for the repentant sinner. John, who was the best friend of Jesus, said this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This woman faced condemnation her whole life. And it did nothing. But in one moment, she experienced the grace and love of Jesus, and it changed everything. Jesus said, you're invited. Come as you are. Come now. Come quickly. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So in today's account, Jesus doesn't just speak to two people. I believe he's really speaking to two groups of people. And so I want to do the exact same thing right now. So first, I want to speak to the Christians in the room. All week long, I was haunted, convicted, if you will, by the question that Jesus asked Simon. Do you see this woman? And I think for those of us who are followers of Christ, it's a reminder to open your eyes. Because for as much as we malign the Pharisees, there's a tendency in all of us to drift in that direction, okay? There's a tendency, the longer that you're a Christian, to drift away from the love and grace of Jesus, to drift towards law and rules and regulations. And we could pretend this isn't the case, but if we're honest with ourselves, more times than we'd like to admit when we come in contact with individuals who are living lives that are not representative of, of God's ideal, let's say. We judge them. And we condemn them. And we separate from them. We have to fight this tendency with every fiber of our being. Now, don't misunderstand me. This doesn't mean we go light on sin. It doesn't mean that we don't call sin, sin, but we got to remember that Jesus came for the sinners, that Jesus died for the sinners. And so if the message of Jesus is for everyone, then we as his church should reject no one. Second, 
I would love for you Christians to really meditate on what I'm going to call the extravagant worship of this unnamed woman. When she saw her Savior, what did she do? She fell to her knees. She soaked his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, anointed it with oil. In the original Greek, when you read it, it's, it's, it describes this as going on for an extended period of time, like an uncomfortably long period of time. But this is what worship looks like. This is what gratitude for salvation looks like. I'm just left wondering, how's our worship? You know, a lot of times as Christians, we think about worship as being the songs that we sing here. It's way bigger than that. How is your attitude of gratitude for what Jesus did for you on that cross? Now, you may not have been a prostitute, a newsflash. In the eyes of God, it doesn't matter. Because in the eyes of God, none of us is worthy. All of us has fallen short of God's glorious standards. Each of us has been forgiven of a debt that we could never repay. Do we actually recognize that? Have we actually gotten to a place in our lives where we just take that for granted, where our worship has gone stale? I'm just wondering if we need to take a a note from this nameless woman and symbolically fall at the feet of Christ and thank him for everything that he's done for us. Now, my last practical is for those of you in this room who might not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To you, based on this story, I would implore you to accept his invitation. Jesus said, you're invited. You feel unwanted? Jesus says you're invited. If you feel like you have failed God or doubted God or questioned God, if you're angry at God, you are still invited. Jesus says, come to me with your doubts. Come to me with your addictions. Come to me with your hang-ups. Bring your baggage. Bring your past. Bring those things that other people don't like. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And in a moment, your life can change. Your future can be different and you can be made right with your heavenly father who just loves you so much. Let me pray for you. Dear God, I'm just so grateful that This story was recorded, has been saved for 2,000 years, because even though we do not know this woman's name, her story is all of our stories, whether we recognize it or not. God, if there is someone in this room today, or watching online, or listening in the future, who has been made to feel less about themselves because of any number of reasons. If they have been hurt somehow, Lord, by your local church, I pray, God, that this story would be a bomb in their lives. That they would know that that when they're dealing with Christians, when they're dealing with churches, they're just dealing with people, Lord. but that you love them unconditionally, that you came to this world for them, that you died for them. 
God, I pray that those of us in this room who do know you as our Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that you would open our eyes. Lord, if our hearts have gotten a little hardened over the years, that you would soften them. Help us realize that we are not perfect. We do not have it all together. That we are here and we are who we are because of you. And I pray that you would challenge us to be your feet and hands in this world. To touch those who, who feel like they don't deserve you. And we'll be quick to give you all the glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name.